It goes without saying that our societies are in the middle of a crisis. The pandemic is asking us to think about what it means to be human, living in community, um, in community with a wider creation itself. But also all over the world, this has become a time of physical distancing and isolation. And so in this time of pandemic, people die in hospitals and long-term care homes without the physical support of loved ones. And it raises the question, how do we live as human beings more humanly in the world? But I suggest that what's probably on most of our hearts is the unnecessary murder, and yes, I said murder, not death, of George Floyd. And he's only one name in a long litany of people who are killed because of their skin color. And so the question is, what does it mean to be human? And it's an urgent question in this time of crisis. In all the debates about where society is going or what's wrong, uh, what it looks like for society to flourish, it can be wearisome to listen to a cacophony of dissonant voices and debates that seem to go around and around in circles. And so often these debates are steeped in a backstory of politics and ideologies. And all the while, we are in danger of losing our souls, our humanity, in the noise of the words. This past week, I was talking to a mother in Cambridge who tried unsuccessfully to hold back tears as she told me how her nine-year-old daughter came in after seeing what the police did to George Floyd and asked her, Mommy, they're not going to do that to Daddy, are they? That mother happens to be my daughter. And her husband is my son-in-law, who is a These things often as I ask, what does the kingdom of God look like in a place like this, in a time like this? And I confess that I still have much to learn, but I do believe it's absolutely necessary, necessary to have the discussion as people who are on, on the journey to the shalom and reconciliation as described in Scripture as the kingdom of God. Last Sunday, as we celebrated the Pentecostal fire of the Spirit that came down upon the gathered church, there were fires burning in cities across North America as once again, once again, people held up signs to remind us that black lives matter, to tell us yet again that systemic racism is rife. And that we white folk don't often seem to get the gravity of the problem. And frankly, as a white male, I don't always understand the gravity of the problem. But here we are, Trinity Sunday, June 7th, 2020. And if Scripture has nothing to say to us today at a time like this, you may as well turn your computer off and find better things to do with your time this morning. This is Trinity Sunday. And if theology has nothing to say to us today in a time like this, we may as well simply pull the plug on being a Christian. And yes, I mean that. Because truth be told, it has often been the misreading of Scripture that has contributed to racism. 
bad theology can endorse a perspective that brings death and destruction. So yes, both Scripture and theology have much to say to us in a time like this. And so the theme for this morning's sermon is living intentionally with the triune God in times of crisis. Tensions run deep in our human family. It can overwhelm us and paralyze us. And sometimes it seems it would be far more helpful to be silent and listen. In fact, writing back in 1968, Jean Danielou argued for the need for contemplation and silence if human beings are ever going to realize their full stature and worth as humans made in the image of God. But he didn't just advocate silence or to be quiet or, as some have suggested in these past days, to black out our our smartphones. No, no, he called for silence in the presence of God. Think about that. Silence in the presence of God. And he wrote that in, as I said, 1968. Now, if you follow the news, you will know that columnists regularly compare and connect our current situation with the 1960s, and particularly with 1968. The 1960s were years of social unrest, race riots, of deep questions, of deep social pain. But in 1968, things came to a head. There were anti-war protests. There's the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Forty American cities saw troops deployed there was this assassination of Robert Kennedy as well. And so I find it extremely significant that precisely in 1968, Jean Danielou made the perceptive observation that the search for God lies at the heart of today's crisis. The search for God lies at the heart of today's crisis. And the title of the book in which the author makes his rather bold statement might take you by surprise. The French original is The Trinity and the Mystery of Existence. Now, I I have no doubt that some people would just roll their eyes and immediately dismiss this as nonsense, and with good reason. I mean, history is replete with tragic examples of what happens when God and nationalistic or partisan politics become ingredients in a volatile cocktail. And it's so easy to say God is on our side and then uh, perpetrate unthinkable crimes against other human beings. And yet if we're going to talk about the Christian God, we must inevitably talk about God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God. And if we need an accepted understanding of grammar in order to communicate to one another in daily conversation, the Trinity is the Christian grammar we use as followers of Jesus Christ when we talk about God. And it's striking as we open up the Scriptures and turn to the first page the author simply asserts, in the beginning, God created. And then it goes on, and, and God said. Now God speaks, and he speaks so that the universe listens. 
And by telling us who God is and what He's done as our Creator, Scripture invites us to come and to live in the presence of God, to take God seriously. And what's more, as, as, as you read the passage, and the reading actually went to chapter 2, it's, sorry, it was my fault, it goes to chapter 2, and as you read through this, you get glimpses that are clarified and deepened that this God who creates, who speaks, reveals himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Is this a mystery? Absolutely. Yes, but Trinity has been revealed. And by establishing a biblical understanding of the universe, a cosmology, if you will, Scripture insists that the Trinity is the principle and the aim of all reality, the ultimate source of all that exists. The universe exists because God exists. And while God could exist on his own, the earth could not. And so we live in a world that witnesses to its creator. If we were but to open our eyes, we would see that all creation celebrates our creator God. And I'm reminded by a poem by Mary Oliver. It's called, I Wake Close to Morning. And she says, why do people keep asking to see God's identity papers when the darkness opening into morning is more than enough? Surely any God might turn away in disgust. Think of Sheba approaching the kingdom of Solomon. Do you think she had to ask, is this the place? And so as we turn to Scripture, it's, it's in the very beginning when God created the heavens and the earth, there, the earth was a formless, empty space and there was darkness over the face of the deep and the wind, the breath, the Spirit of God swept over the face of the waters. Danielu comments that the Spirit moved as a bird beating its wings to kindle a spark of life. God, the life-giving Spirit, rouses the empty void to life as an eagle incites the babies to come out of the nest by hovering over the brood. And Danielu powerfully suggests that the Spirit provokes existence, wrestling movement from inertia. And so the psalm writer sings, You send forth your breath. They are created and you renew the face of the earth. And then as the author moves through the creation sequence, he, he tells us how God created human beings and listen to what he says. He says, let us, not let me, but let us, plural, make humankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all wild animals, over the creatures that move along the ground and participate in that way in our work in the world. So God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. And then God blessed them, and God mandated them to be fruitful, to flourish, to fill the earth, and to subdue it. As we saw in a recent sermon, the, the recovery of the mystery of Trinity as the divine dance desperately needs to be understood at this critical moment in history. 
the Eastern Church fathers and mothers talked about Trinity in terms of a three-person dance, all holding hands, finding delight and enjoyment in one another, who then welcome us into that very same dance. And the point is, we have been created by a community of love, for a community of love, to be in a community of love. We are not meant to be isolated individuals. We are not little islands in this endless sea. We are truly human when we experience the reality of community. Community with one another, community with God as Father, Son, and Spirit. We are defined not as individuals but as persons only in relation to other persons and ultimately to, be, to God. And you know, patently, the Trinity is not a hierarchy. And even though in the West we are quick to use language like co-eternal and co-equal in our minds and in our theology, there's often a hierarchy. Father, Son, Spirit, male, female. And when it comes to human beings, the whiter you are, the higher you are on the scale of human worth. That's the way history has played out time and time again. We have socially constructed and stratified people according to skin color, according to a hierarchy of haves and have-nots, of privilege, of civilized and uncivilized, with civilization being defined by us. And that's a sin. It's not just wrong. It's a sin. And sadly, Scripture was and is used to justify it. Sometimes the Bible is just used as a prop for a photo op. At other times, it's explained badly. And as a child of Dutch immigrants, I learned many good and helpful things. But I was also told that we were blessed because we were descendants of Japheth, the son of Noah. Well, the blacks were cursed because they descended from Ham. And so black people were just paying their dues because of Ham's sin. And the proof was that we were blessed with material wealth, with things, with stuff, while the other folks were poor. It was their destiny. And I'm ashamed to say that for a while, I believe that too. Theology was used to justify it. Based on an erroneous reading of the Exodus and the conquest of Canaan stories, woven together with a misguided doctrine of election, Europeans, seeing themselves as chosen elect people, believed they had the divine right to take land from native people. And suddenly America or Africa became the promised land and the doctrine of election was used to support a colonial project. And if the natives refer, refused to hand over the land or to convert, the Europeans had the God-given permission to wipe them out or to move them to reserves. Whites had permission to slave people, enslave people based on the color of their skin. Well, slavery is no longer on the books, but discrimination and prejudice is still very much part of our world. But let me be absolutely clear. Genesis destroys those ideas. God said, let us make humankind in our image. Full stop. Not some humans, but all human beings share the divine image. All human beings are the icons of the living God. Oh, it's easy to nod and to affirm the doctrine. It's far more difficult to live this truth intentionally with a triune God, particularly 
in a time of crisis? What will it take for us to see others as God sees them? What will it take for us to believe that they too are image bearers who have intrinsic worth and values as those created by the same Father and breathed into by the same Spirit himself so that they also are alive, those who share the same humanity with the same incarnate Son of God? And so from the very first verses of the Bible, a relationship is intentionally established between the triune God and creation. And God's creative action, creation through the actions of Father, Son, and Spirit provides us with a a primary and a radical point of departure to think about everything that has been created, including what it means to be human. As Daniello points out, at the birth of mankind, the whole creation issuing from the hand of God is holy. The earthly paradise is is nature in a state of grace. The house of God is the whole cosmos. Heaven is his tent, his tabernacle, and earth is his footstool. This is a whole cosmic liturgy, that of the source of flowers and birds. At this point, he says, all people could equally enjoy the presence of God because the entire cosmos was a temple where we are at home with God in the cool of the evening, where humans come forth, silent, composed, absorbed in their work as in a perpetual liturgy, attentive to the presence that fills them with awe and tenderness. No wonder the psalmist worships as he looks into the night sky. And it's doxology, it's, it's worship, it's awe that is the appropriate response to recognizing God as our creator. And so from the lips of children and nursing infants no less, let children be our teachers. Listen as they sing. When I look up and consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? God is mindful. God cares. And it's not, who, are, who am I that you are mindful of me, that you take care of me? No, no, it's our collective humanity that is the focus of God's providential care and that, that calls forth this song of praise. But you know, the point is, we're not only to live in the presence of God, we also dwell within the realm of the Trinity. The amazing thing is that as human beings, we're drawn into the life of the Trinity as well. We we are redeemed, we're privileged to enjoy this extraordinary intimacy and closeness. And this is surely one of the main points we can appreciate from the reading in Matthew. Yes, yes, this is the Great Commission, and yes, this is about missions, but it's also about baptism. Notice, though, that Jesus doesn't simply say, now make sure that everyone is baptized. No, no, Jesus is very specific. He says, baptizing the nations into the name, singular, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit into this relationship of love with the Trinity. And so we are invited into this movement of life of Trinity. This is life with a capital L. 
Not an ideology, not a club, not some elite. No, no. We are invited into an amazing relationship of love with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Those baptized into the name of this God end up having a completely new identity. And here's precisely where Trinity as community is both a profound blessing and an unparalleled privilege as we are called and welcomed into the fellowship shared and enjoyed with absolute delight between Father, Son, and Spirit. This is the divine dance of love, a love that is never self-centered, self-seeking, or selfish. It is in the waters of baptism that the life-giving Spirit hovers over us again, just as He did at creation, at the Red Sea, at the Jordan. It is at the waters of baptism that we are united with a crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ. It is at the waters of baptism that the Father says, You are my beloved. It's at the waters of baptism that heaven opens and love comes down. But if we're going to live intentionally with the triune God, we need to let ourselves be loved. And then that love will necessarily transform us so that we too have the capacity to love others. If we're going to live intentionally with the triune God in a time of crisis, we need to affirm God's love for others, for all people. And we need to embrace those whom God embraces or we are out of sync with Jesus' commission. Precisely because the crucified and re resurrected Lord Jesus Christ has received all legitimate authority in the universe. It has been given to him. Therefore, he says, therefore go and make disciples of whom? Only people who look like us? Only people who are white? Or people who need to learn to live like white? No, all nations. And actually the word is ethne, from which we get our word ethnic. And this is a, an important distinction because a nation is often made up of different ethnic groups. And so what Jesus is saying is that all ethnic groups are welcomed into the life of Trinity. All ethnic groups are the objects of Jesus' love. And so I, I can hear some people say, yes, yes, that's right. All lives matter, not just black lives matter. Jesus died for all people. And you're absolutely right, of course. But imagine this scenario. Your house is on fire, so you dial 911. And the firemen come with, with sirens blaring, and they hook up their fire hoses, and they begin at the corner down the street by spraying on all your neighbor's roofs with water until they gradually get to yours. Wait a minute, you protest. It's my house that's on fire. What, what are you doing? Th those houses aren't even burning. Yes, they respond, but all houses matter. So everybody gets the same amount of water. We need to be fair to everyone, they insist. Well, the point is clear, don't you think? Yes, all human beings are made in the image of God, but in this particular juncture of our history, systemic legalized racism that has poisoned our human relationships for so long has come home to roost. 
and the injustices have to be addressed. Human beings are created in the image of God and they've been dehumanized for long enough and this cannot continue. Paul will later describe the Great Commission in terms of a ministry of reconciliation and we dare not individualize the scope of that reconciliation so that it's just about me and Jesus. We dare not limit the reach of that reconciliation so that just certain people are, are, are included and others are excluded because of the color of their skin or language or income or whatever. It needs to be as broad as God intended it. So much of the New Testament, if you read it closely, deals precisely with the race question. Do you need to become Jewish to be part of the church? And time and again, the Holy Spirit, through the New Testament authors, stressed it's not a matter of genetics. Faith in Christ is enough. And this is good news for, from God for all people. It's not about your passport or your skin color. No, no, no. Jesus gives us a commission that is rooted in creation, in the cosmos, and that embraces all of creation, all ethnicities. Isn't that what Pentecost was all about? And yet, let's be clear. This is not about eliminating racial differences. This is not about erasing color or making us all colorblind. In fact, John's vision of the throne room in Revelation emphatically states that all nations and languages and peoples are gathered before the throne. We can be true to Christ and true to our culture, our ethnicity. And so as Syrians, as Hispanics, as Asians, or blacks, or whites, it doesn't matter. Different doesn't mean hierarchy. Different doesn't mean uniformity. It means community. It means we are apprentices of Jesus together, followers of Jesus together, imitators of Jesus together. And Jesus is insistent, teach them to obey what I told you. And the starting point for our discipleship is the ministry of Jesus. And the blueprint for that discipleship is the Nazareth Manifesto, or what Jesus read in Luke chapter 4. But you'll remember how we started. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, the recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And at first everyone goes, wow. But when Jesus shows that this goes beyond the scope of Israel's border, what happened? They pushed him out of the synagogue, out of the town, and they wanted to throw him over the side of the cliff. They wanted to kill him. But Jesus purposely goes out of his way time and again to include those that others exclude. Given the history of humanity, this is radical stuff, and that, that's why we need to listen to Jesus. This is what following Jesus should look like. This is what it means to obey him. And our Lord concludes by saying, and remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I am with you. Covenantal language, gospel language. We are not alone. God himself is with us always. As we seek to be the change we long for, Jesus is with us. As we strive for a more just society, Jesus is with us. As we proclaim a message of grace and reconciliation, 
forgiveness, social healing. Jesus is with us, and the Spirit goes before us. Emmanuel, fully God, fully human. Jesus, the human face of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is with us. And week after week, as we leave our time of worship, we go with those remarkable words, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And it's only in that reality that we can and may and must live intentionally with the triune God in a time of crisis. Why? Because God lives with us. Why? Because God is for us. Why? Because God is in us. We share in the mystery of divine life. We can be different. Well, let me conclude. So was Danielu up to something? Is the search for God at the heart of today's crisis? I think so. It's only as I know God and am known by God. It is only as I enter into that communal life of God and God enters into me, into my life, into my family, into my community, that I will not only begin to understand myself in relationship to God, but I will also understand that God, the triune God, needs to be the starting point for all of our thinking about what it means to be truly human fully human. We are made in God's image, and through His transformative grace, we are being renewed, transformed into the image of His Son by the power of His Spirit. So, is this a pipe dream? I don't think so. I don't think it is. This is what Scripture teaches us. This is God's restoration project. What are some practical next steps? Where do we go from here? Well, you know, the CRC has some excellent material about race and reconciliation. So let's have that conversation as families, as faith families, as pastorates. Let's invite other voices to tell a story from a different perspective without putting the responsibility on people of color to fix our blind spots. And maybe then we can embody reconciliation and invite others into that too. But then secondly, as a community of the baptized, wouldn't it be wonderful if we began every day in silence, in the presence of God who made us, who loves us, who walks with us, who fills our life, and then join all creation in praising our universal King, because as we do, we will be increasingly amazed by the gift of being human as those loved and welcomed into the life of God. And when we recognize that salvation is all of grace, we too will be able to see others through the lens of God's grace. May God help us be faithful at this time. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, set our hearts on fire with love for Christ so that we may live intentionally with the Father who together with you and the Son are to be worshipped forever. May that extravagant, over-the-top love selfless love spill into our lives in a way that we dare to embrace people who are different from ourselves and in doing so mirror that community that you O trying god are and delight to be break down our walls of racism and hate help us to value all that is truly human enable us to seek reconciliation and restoration in a way that you are glorified and may your kingdom come may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.